0: Hello, Lovebug, and welcome to Chronic Sex, the podcast about how self-love, relationships, sex, and sexuality are affected by chronic illness and disability. Given the subject matter, this podcast is not suitable for those under the age of 18, and unless you have headphones in right now, you probably shouldn't be listening to us at work. My name's Kirsten Schultz, and I'm your host. It's good to have you with us today, wherever you are and whatever you're doing today we're speaking with my friend tambra lane who has an amazing story to tell she used to work in the business that's that's show business the film business movies television commercials all that good stuff we take in with our eyes Her husband Gary worked alongside her, and suddenly Gary fell ill and was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. There was a lot going on for the both of them, and as a caregiver, she has a very unique experience of what it's like to go through cancer with a partner. Unfortunately, Gary did pass away, but she has turned her life into helping others in the position she was once in. She works as a coach to help cancer patients, survivors, and their loved ones cope and hopefully find intimacy again, since that can be taken so easily. She also works really closely with a lot of healthcare providers in order to help them understand kind of those quality of life things, you know, like sex. So with that, let's start the show.
1: Kristen, I am so excited to be joining you for the podcast today. And, you know, when I heard you were launching this, I reached out and asked you to really consider having me on to speak about the topic of intimacy from the caregiver perspective. Because I think the caregiver side of the story is often left aside in many conversations. So I'm really appreciate that you're creating a space for us to include it. Uh, and then of course your personal experience of kind of being on both sides of each of, you know the coin, uh, survivor and caregiver is definitely going to bring a lot to the conversation today. So thank you.
2: Well, thank you. I was very, very pleased to hear from you and, um, very stoked when I woke up this morning and, <laughs> you know, realized I got to actually talk, talk with you this afternoon. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't I can't thank you enough for being here and for reaching out.
1: Oh, we're gonna have a great conversation. So let me just share a little bit about my background, so people know who's on the line here with you. Uh, my name <laughs> is Amber Lane, and I'm a certified professional coach. I was a filmmaker by profession for most of my life, and I was actually working on feature films with my late husband Gary, who was a production designer. So he was the guy that created the look of the film and designed all the sets. Um, and he was diagnosed back in 1998 with Hodgkin's disease. And he was only 34 years old. Uh, wow. I was, yeah, he was very young. Um, and unfortunately, he passed three years later. So, you know, we had, we had an incredible marriage. And it was like kind of one of, It was truly a Hollywood love story. Um,
2: mm-hmm. just
1: kind of didn't get the ending that, you know, the Disney films get, unfortunately. Uh, but as I moved forward through the process of being a young widow and grieving uh, and losing somebody who was just such an amazing part of my life, I ultimately came to a decision point that if I was going to be here without him, I needed to find something that was meaningful to do with my life. And so I decided to get trained as a coach and help others gain the skills and tools and perspectives that I felt really would have helped me to have had a better approach to caregiving. So, in other words, like an approach where I also took care of myself while Mm -hmm. I was taking care of Gary. And that way, I I feel like I could have been more patient and had more energy for him and also been more mindful of my own personal well-being. So I started a private coaching business called WellBeyondOrdinary.com. And eventually, I was given the opportunity to join an organization and become the co-founder of a new company well beyond this. And we developed coaching-based online programs for those dealing with chronic illness and their caregivers. So the great side of all of this coming out you know, 15 years later is that I really feel like I've been able to take the personal experience that I went through with my late husband's and the loss that I suffered um, and his sacrifice and, you know, how his life ended, you know, long before he got to accomplish the things that he had hoped for and really turning it into something meaningful where I could help others. And so that's why I'm so excited to join you here today.
2: I, I am just so uh, enamored with um, people like yourself who are able to turn these very difficult experiences into something positive and especially, um, you know, those of us who go, well, dang it, I wish I'd had this resource and, you know, nobody else should go without this resource or have to spend hours upon hours pouring through journal articles. So, you know, what? I'm just going to make it. I'm going to make it. And, um, you know, it's that, it's, it's that interesting blend of entrepreneurship and compassion, and love, and, um, just experience that I think really moves, um, the chronic illness and disability community as a whole forward. Um, I think that without people like yourselves, you know, creating these new resources, creating these new organizations that really help us to focus, um, on caring for each other and, and for ourselves, um, and and the quality of life impact that these diseases have um you know i think that, that a lot of people would be lost without them so i am just i am just in awe of you and everything that you have been able to do um in the last several years since you lost your husband and it's just it's beautiful to see that um your loss of him has resulted in something so meaningful and so needed.
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that.
2: Uh, I'm definitely not crying, just by the way. It's fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. It's just misty in my face.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it really is one of those uh, situations where It it has not been easy, and there's times I still cry about the loss. I'm not going to fake that, you know. This was simple, that I just made, you know, waved a magic wand, or that I was, you know, strong and, you know, strong as a brick or something, and I could just walk through anything. You know, there was great suffering involved along the way, but, um, you know, we do get to a choice point, and uh, I figured I could either stay stuck in the suffering and the grief, or I could make a difference. And I chose to make a difference and that has allowed me the opportunity to meet people like you who are also out there taking their challenges and, you know, what they've learned about going through chronic illness and bringing it out as a resource for others so that we can, um, you know, reduce some of the suffering and struggling around some of the issues related to it. We may not be able to resolve the actual health condition, that's kind of up to the medical providers, but... Um, on the emotional and psychosocial side, there's a lot we can do to ease some of the the suffering and struggle.
2: Yeah, I I think it really um, harkens back to when I was young and, um, you know, not to get too political, but uh, Hillary Clinton came out with her book, um, It Takes a Village, and I was, oh, God, I think it was like eight. Oh, that's sad. But, you know, I was very young, and I just... I. As I heard about the book, I was like, you know what? It does. It takes a village, but it's, like, not just for kids growing up. It's, like, for all of us, and that's kind of been something that I've taken forward as I've gotten more involved with the chronic illness community is that it takes all of us to help each other, Um, and it's beautiful when we can do that in such a meaningful, positive way. Um, and give other people outlets and, and help them deal with some very sensitive and vulnerable issues. Um, you know, especially like intimacy and, and how do we, how do we address the issue of intimacy if we're not always able to be as physically active or as physically intimate as we'd like to be? Um, I think that there's a lot to be said for types of intimacy that do not necessarily involve, you know, kind of the the idea of of intimacy that is, you know, perpetuated by organizations and businesses and whatnot in the United States, where it's it's you know a heterosexual couple having <laughs> vaginal intercourse and it always must end in orgasm, um, and that's not you know the reality for the vast majority of everybody involved in sex. Um, so I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what you think about the term intimacy and um, what, what you kind of define it as yourself.
1: I think originally I would have fallen into that bucket of accepting the images and the um, sense of intimacy out there is, is really correlating to having a sexual uh, relationship with another person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly marriage changed that to some degree. Uh, We we were very good at talking to each other and, and, and communicating. And uh, there were a lot of experiences that we shared, uh, you know, during our marriage before Gary was ill that uh, were, where I started to see that intimacy was more about time we shared together because mm-hmm. we could be together, especially when we started working together. We could be together working all day long, um, and we weren't necessarily having you know intimate moments during the work day. In fact, we defined our relationship in such a way, uh, and because I used a different last name, that most people who worked with us, unless they were friends outside of work, didn't know that we were a married couple. Oh,
2: so interesting.
1: yeah. So that wasn't part of our, our, our day. But then when we would go home at night, uh, it was very obvious that there was a shift and a change in the connection, in the way we talked to each other. And, you know, just um, just even if I was doing the dishes and he would come up from behind and, and give me a hug. Um, and I really started to treasure those kind of moments and, and expand my, you know, what I understood about intimacy. And then certainly when he was diagnosed and, You know, we sat there and went through so many conversations about his body and what his body was doing and how it was functioning or not functioning and where the cancer cells were located and the impact of treatment and all these things. That, of course, brought in a whole other different level of intimacy because there were now things that I knew about his body and conversations we were having about his body that he was not having with anybody else in his life other than his medical provider. Mm Mhm so as the primary caregiver that became a different kind of intimacy and while it was wonderful um in a lot of ways because it did help me feel like I was making a difference um like I was contributing and had a role there was also times when that created a challenge with the other parts of our intimacy as husband and wife like shifting out mm-hmm. of that caregiver role setting aside the you know the thinking of a caregiver like you know um, will doing this, you know, um, activities together, whether it was sexual or whether it was, you know, just a regular outing or something else, um, will that drain his energy too much? Maybe I should say no, we should stay home. You know, all of a sudden there was like, it was almost like trying to navigate down two roads at the same time and it became quite complex.
2: Yeah, it's, it's not easy to navigate. Um... That that situation, and I know, you know, from from the patient side of me, it's it's very difficult to sometimes share um, those battles, um, share what's going on with your body, because you know that it will complicate, you know, the the relationship side of things. But I also know from from the caregiver side of me that. Um, you know, it it makes such a difference when I know what my husband is going through, and um, you know, I I have some empathy skills going on and some hyper vigilance that I can usually tell what's going on, but it's there's there's a difference when he is able to articulate that and able to let down that guard and really share with me. Um, that what what he's going through. There's a vulnerability there that is intimate be- all, beyond any other forms of intimacy, um, but it's also a, a difficult thing to manage. Um, I, I know that in the rheumatic disease world, we talk often about how, how can we, um, be intimate if we can't always feel like we're dependable. And I think that there are, you know, these other things we can do that are intimate that aren't always physical or, um, involving sex or, or sensuality. Um, you know, my husband and I always play video games. (laughs) We're nerds. And, um, you know, like, we'll, we'll play Grand Theft Auto. He'll, he'll play and I'll watch and we'll make the character do silly things or, um, you know, run the car into a gas station and watch the impending explosion. Like, like, <laughs> there's, it doesn't sound very intimate as I'm saying it, but, but there's, there's conversation and a silliness and a, a realism in, in the interactions we have around that and the other things we do during our day, that is incredibly intimate. And it's something that, um, you know, just kind of happens. You know, we, we always play games and stuff, you know, at, at certain times of day. And it just kind of happened that that became something that for us it had some intimacy to it. Um, so I can definitely understand you know, when you're dealing with an illness, how difficult it can be to keep up, kind of the the stereotypical ideas of intimacy.
1: Yeah, and, you know that that moment, those moments of play that you're just describing, those are what I call uh, with my clients simply beautiful moments, mm. simply because they're simple, you know, and and then they've got their their beauty to them, and they're going to be different for every every couple or every relationship out there. Um, And you get to define those and you get to to choose those. You know, I used to really treasure treasure, uh, the time that Gary and I took walking. We used to walk our neighborhood quite often. And at one point in his illness, he was having so much trouble with his lungs that he literally, to get to the end of the block and back was a real struggle. And so those days when, you know, at sunset, we could go out and just hold hands and make it down to the end of the block together and come back, to me, that was a, a simply beautiful moment. That was us in a very peaceful place, just treasuring that time together and feeling his hand in my hand, and uh, you know, and him having the strength to get that far and back. It was simple, but it was beautiful. And mm-hmm. the, you know, so it's really looking for, you know, how can not not of course that we discount how can we resolve. Um, you know, sexual intimacy issues, because there's lots of solutions out there and there's lots of experts out there, and we'll definitely touch on some of that um, going forward in the conversation. But also, how do we expand our definition and redefine intimacy in a way that kind of meets us where we're at right now, dealing with the circumstances that we're dealing at, so it's not putting so much pressure on, and it's recognizing that intimacy comes in many ways. Uh, it's interesting that there was a, a woman, that, a caregiver that I coached, and her husband was unfortunately terminal. And I asked her one day what was her biggest challenge. And she said, I'm too afraid to ask him what his final wishes are. Like, how does he want to spend the rest of the time that he has? And so I coached her around some communication skills, and we literally designed a conversation that she was comfortable bringing up to him. And so she sat him down, she had this conversation. And two days later, she called me back and she said, I want to thank you because that conversation created one of the most romantic, intimate moments in our 42 years of marriage because he was able to sit there and tell me that what he wanted most was to go back home to where we raised our children and where they were living with their families and just spend time with them. And we talked all about that and we planned the trip together that night and, you know, we're taking off in a couple of days and we're going to go do this together. And she said it was so amazing. So we, you know, we, we don't want to underestimate the power of a conversation and what that can do and a memory that can be created that will be there for, you know, as long as we're around to, to hold that dear to us.
2: Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I think um, I think when it comes down to it, Intimacy is just another way that we communicate how much we love and care for and appreciate each other. Um, and that can be really difficult to to get over, um, to, to get past the, okay, let's physically do the thing, to let's actually talk about it. Um, whether that is, you know, an intimate moment that involves sexuality or whether that is such an intimate moment as talking about like your final days and what you really want. Um, that's not a conversation my husband and I have had yet, but it's definitely, you know, we've talked about it. We had, we have Guinea pigs and um, one of our sweet boys passed away a couple of weeks ago due to just some, he was very medically complex. Um, and, you know, it was very sad and, and we kind of looked at each other and we went, oh, crap, like, you know, we also do this someday and we should probably talk about this at some point. And, and that was the extent of that conversation. Um, So that's definitely one we have to have. I'm just I'm just writing down notes for myself
0: about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's one of the funny things we always say about coaching is that, you know, typically you're on the line coaching a client and at some point in almost every conversation something comes up and it's like, yeah, note to self.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I wish you could see my paper right now. Like, <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Well, you know, and
1: that, and that, that is a, an intimate and challenging conversation to have. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, I got into our one conversation we ever had about that in a very ungraceful way, a very uncoach like way. And of course I hadn't done my coach training at the time, so I will give myself the grace about that. But I, I mean, literally it was wet towels that opened up the one time that I spoke my fears um, about him dying. And uh, we had just done a small remodel on our bathroom and he hung some wet towels on the, on the uh, hook and then they were leaning against the new paint. And I went into the, the, kitchen I was angry about these wet towels and I really wasn't Um, and and so it was like not it was misplaced anger and Mm -hmm. luckily he was in a conscious enough space to recognize that that this was bringing up something else for me and he stopped me put his hand on my arm and he just looked at me and he said this isn't about the towels what is it really about and I said I'm afraid you're gonna die and leave me alone Mm -hmm. and it was the only time I ever said it out loud and in that moment it gave him the opportunity to comfort me it gave me the opportunity to cry about it you know he put his arms around me and you know just like that woman with her husband you know planning that last trip it was a moment of intimacy that I'm so grateful that we did have Mm -hmm. um like I said, you know how I got into the conversation was not pretty, <laughs> but um, but it's you know but it, it led where it led to, and as long as at least one person in the in the conversation is coming from a little bit more level of consciousness than the other, if somebody's triggered by something, then there can be that space that you move into. I mean, he really invited me to move into a space of saying what was so for me. Uh, and so being able to share that fear um, was a really incredible moment of connection for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Those, those fears we have, whether they're related to, to passing away um, or, or to losing someone or um, even just the, the fears about what's going to happen to our bodies and our lives are just they're just so vulnerable and so intimate and there are things that we often don't talk about, which is, it, you know, it's because of how, how close they are to us, but there are things that we really have to start talking about. And I think that we get to that point by starting to talk about more openly, um, you know, some of these more positive, intimate moments. Um, and, and, and how do we approach conversations about, intimacy and and sex and sensuality while we're dealing with an illness and and how do we do it in a way that you know is is kind is intentional doesn't enhance you know, doesn't involve us being naked and <laughs> having, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, I don't like it when we do this because you never make me come. Like, that's probably not a good time to have that conversation. Um, you know, and how do we, how do we kind of address that? What are your thoughts about, you know, talking more about intimacy and sexuality in a, in a, in a more, I guess a more open way. I just used open twice, but it works.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one of the thoughts that I have around that is uh, first of all, standing in a, a space of understanding that when we do share our fears or our reservations or challenges that we're having with our loved ones, no matter what it's about, um, but particularly about intimacy, um, we are really standing in a space of looking to create connection, understanding, and get and give support mm-hmm. so sometimes setting yourself up to really look at it from that way it's not I'm going you know I need to have a conversation to tell my partner how to you know touch me in a different way because what's you know what's happening now isn't working for me um, it's it's if we take it into the bigger conversation about you know this is a conversation that is about creating connections there I use conversation twice in a row um, <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't feel alone. Uh, This is about creating understanding. This is about supporting each other. That's a little bit of different mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, certainly if you haven't had a lot of conversations around sexual intimacy, it can be even more challenging to bring up sometimes when you're dealing with the stress of a chronic illness or caregiving. So just being mindful about that um, and being gentle with yourself. But I think, uh, you know, it's critical to find an appropriate time, as you said, when both of you can focus on the conversation And you won't be interrupted. And then definitely choosing a place where the conversation can be private, but people don't feel exposed. Um, So Starbucks, definitely not a place.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Dang it, but that coffee is just so (laughs) tasty. Take it to go. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And then
1: framing the conversation by making sure that your partner knows you're bringing it up because you want to understand their needs and concerns as well as share your needs and concerns so that you can work together to find a way to maintain intimacy, redefine it, uh, experience it, that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I think when you bring some of those tips into it, that's a great starting place. And the other thing is, and this works for conversations with medical providers as well as, you know, with your loved one, if this is hard for you to do and hard for you to talk about, say so. Yeah. tell them up front because when we are vulnerable like that and say, I'm about to open up a conversation that's scary for me or that's challenging for me um, or, you know, where I have a concern about how you might hear it. And so I just need to ask for you to be patient and be willing to know I might say the wrong thing or I might say something the wrong way, I might come across the wrong way. So you might need to kind of navigate through this together Sometimes if you bring that in the beginning, first of all, it makes you less nervous. And mm-hmm. second of all, it puts their human part in touch with your human part. Yeah. It brings them to your side. You're now in this together and you're sharing your vulnerability. And so they can, people can be a little bit more open to um, wanting to cheerlead you on and wanting to help you make sure that you navigate this in a way that's as comfortable as possible. So, mm-hmm. and then, you know, do it in your own style, too. So, um, you know, the, it, it's like if, you're, if you want to design a conversation and a time and a place, do it in a way that matches your relationship.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I know when I talk to other people, and this is definitely a do as I say, not as I do, um, I, I tend to suggest, you know, picking a day every week that, you know for the most part it's going to be a day where you're both around and you can have this conversation and you do it at a certain time. So maybe you do it after dinner when you haven't had anything to drink so there's no, you know, extra influences on the conversation. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe get a Starbucks in case you did have something to drink. Um, you know, and, and just sit down and have a conversation about You know, what has happened since you last had the conversation? So, you know, I really liked that the other day when I, you know, my knee was so swollen, I could barely get up that you got a Gatorade out of the fridge for me without me asking because, you know, it showed that you were thinking of me and it was just a a caring thing. And so even though it was a little thing, it, it was something I really appreciated. Um, you know, I think I think giving that positive feedback can be so influential um, in our relationships. But then it also opens up space for some of those difficult conversations or, you know, constructive criticism feedback when that's needed. Um, like, well, you know, whenever we have sex in this position, it's very awkward for me because my knees are very bad. And so... I know that you like it, so I'm willing to do it sometimes, but maybe we could try this instead and see how we both feel about that.
0: Um,
2: and I think, too, it's important to make sure that we're using I feel statements um, and, and not statements that could be construed as blaming statements, you know, um, making sure that you're asserting, like, this is me and my point of view right now Um, and not you are the cause of these issues. Um, I think making sure to keep all those things in mind really helps to contribute to a very positive, um, conversation. And I think, you know, doing it in a neutral place, like, I don't know, we, we don't eat at a kitchen table, we eat on our couch. So, (laughs) um, probably not the couch, but you know, if you have like a more formal dining room, like sit in there that night and make it like a, like a date night type thing. So it's something that you look forward to, even though there could be difficult conversations involved.
1: It's a great tip as, you know, as far as the, first of all, the space, creating the space uh, and the environment that you want to have a conversation in, making it a regular part of your routine, Um, you know, however that, you know, is for you, whether it's, you know, every week or once a month, just doing a check-in and then definitely the, you know, I, you thing. Um, You left the damp towels on the floor, (laughs) not the conversation opener that's placing blame, you know, it's anger at him. Really, the conversation was, I am afraid that you're going to die and leave me. Right. It was about my feelings, my fears, had nothing to do with anything that he had done at all. Um, so, you know, yes, those are wonderful, wonderful communication tips. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just like you said, finding that right time and that, that right way and, um, and then, and doing it in your style.
2: Yeah, it's, um, we had an interesting experience probably like two or three years until when I was dating my husband. I, I had had, you know, a rough life growing up and didn't have, an emotional education to the point where I felt comfortable talking about these things um, to the point where I even didn't feel comfortable talking about my pain with him because I felt I was burdening him I felt like I was going to be construed as a complainer like I had all of these fears about what it was going to be like to share such a vulnerable thing as this pain that only each one of us experiences. No one experiences the pains that I have in the same way. We're all incredibly unique in that fact. Um, And, you know, we we went out and got some pizza, and we were sitting in his car with his giant, um, like, MP3 player at the time that only was, like, (laughs) a couple hundred, like, megabytes. It was just, the thing was, like, three times the size of an iPhone, yeah, <laughs> You know, it's, it was a couple years ago. Um, and he, you know, he had tried to get across to me that he really wanted to hear more about my pain and to hear more from me and not, um, you know, I, I had started a blog at that point and, and had used that to communicate a lot of my feelings. And he was like, you know, I think for for us, as, as a partnership, we really have to work on communicating in person. And I was just very afraid of that. Um, and And he played this song by Natalie Merchant um, that talks about sharing your burden. Um, and it was just it was just the most adorable, Like conversation that we had um and the song is called trouble me and i'll I'll make sure to put the the link to the song the lyrics and the notes but um essentially the the chorus goes like trouble me share with me your cares and, and your worries and i'm here to help you carry this burden like why why do you let your shoulders um kind of buckle under this pressure when my shoulders are here and they're strong and I'm here to help you. Um, And and he prefaced playing this song for me by saying, you know, I, I was listening to music and heard this song. And in the moment that I heard it, it really made me think of you. And I hope that as you listen to it, um, you can kind of see where I am coming from as your partner and as someone who wants to, you know, partner with you um, with your health issues. And, you know, he starts playing it. And by the time it got through the first chorus, I was already crying. And the song goes on for like three more minutes. You know, I just started bawling. And it was just, it was a revelation for me about how, impactful my illness was being on him, how difficult it was for him to watch me struggle um, and and know that he can't do anything to take away the pain and, and all of that, you know, stuff that we want to do for our loved ones, but he wanted to be there for the things he could do and wanted to know what he could do to help me, and it was just... Um, one of the sweetest conversations I've ever had in a vehicle and um, an interesting post pizza conversation and interesting pre ice cream conversation, because that was definitely needed after. <laughs> <my>
1: <laughs> <cries>. <laughs> Ah, see, ice cream, a simply beautiful moment. <laughs> yep.
2: No. Well, actually, I mean, we live in Wisconsin, so it's really frozen custard, not ice cream for the most part. So, you know, a little creamier, which means it's just that much more satisfying when you're sad, which probably explains a lot about what I eat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and that's a perfect example of what I was saying about in your own style. Clearly, music was something that he could use easily to speak to you. It captured the message. It worked better for him than words, than than too many words. And he created a whole experience around it for the two of you to to share. Um, And now I'm getting a little misty on this end. (laughs) Oh, no.
2: (laughs) We have both successfully made each other tear up. It's beautiful. Oh, dear. Um, So, yeah, just, you know, thank
1: you for sharing that story. uh, That's just uh, exactly what we're looking for, you know, is that, that connection, that intimacy, that level of thoughtfulness mm-hmm. and that ability to open up a conversation because when we do communicate, we can accomplish a lot more. When we hold our fears, our worries, our concerns inside and we don't share it and we make assumptions um, that we know what the other person might want or need, um, and you know, often this is done out of a place of trying to protect our loved one. We don't want, you know, to stress them out more. We don't want them to feel emotional pain. It's natural. So it kind, of, kind of comes from a good place. It's mm-hmm. just that it can become a real impediment to, uh, to intimacy, to getting your needs met, to them getting their needs met. So that's really amazing. So. Um, so, you know,
2: talking about um, getting needs met, what what kind of thoughts do you have about bringing up um, intimacy issues with doctors? Whether that's you know when you're getting diagnosed, um, when your loved one's getting diagnosed, or you know when there becomes an issue and you both or or either one you know want to raise it to a physician, what is what what are your tips? for those conversations because that can be that can be very vulnerable too. talking to somebody who you know isn't involved in all of that intimacy in your life about all that intimacy in your life and it can feel um, I think very awkward for some of us
1: yes I think that a couple of things uh, first of all you may want to have a conversation. If you're, you and your partner are going in together, you may want to have the conversation ahead of time and, like, come up with a list of questions that you mm-hmm. want to ask the provider. And that's a good opportunity to let your partner know that you do want to put on the list um, a question like, how, how might this treatment impact, you know, intimacy and our sexual relationship, either in the short term or out longer term? Um, So by raising that question while you're putting together the question list, then you don't blindside your partner
0: (laughs) in the middle of a
1: meeting with a third party when they had like maybe no expectation that that was on your mind, maybe it hadn't crossed their mind yet. Uh, So I definitely recommend designing the the, the question list together um, Mm -hmm. if you're going in together. Uh, If for some reason they express that they're not comfortable asking that question, then, you know, there's something further to kind of be explored with them. You certainly can make arrangements to have your own appointment with a provider to talk about it. Um, and whether that's a social worker or a therapist or your uh, primary care physician, it, it still is ultimately up to you to take responsibility to get the questions answered that you need answered. So um, sometimes that does mean striking out on your own and uh, and figuring it out yourself, and that's okay. Um, so you know some of the other things. So make a list of your questions and your concerns. Um, the little tip I gave you before: if you know one or both of you is uncomfortable with the conversation, then frame it that way when you you know before you start asking mm-hmm. the questions about um, the intimacy and sexual impact and and things like that, um, just frame it that way with the provider. This is a hard thing for us to bring up. Um, you know, We'd like this to be confidential, and, sens- and we like you to be sensitive about this, uh, but we have some questions about um, how this is going to impact our sexual relationship, sexual function, um, short-term and long-term. Um, if you're further out, and now the conversation is coming up because there's been side effects either from medication or the initial treatment itself or from the stress, and you know mm, exhaustion yeah. because we have to remember a lot of times it can be stress it can be you know lack of sleep it can it can be a lot of things um, you know, people are dealing sometimes with the financial debt when they go through mm-hmm. chronic illness so all of these things can be mounting up and uh, impact what's going on in the bedroom because so often uh, how things work physically are related to what's going on in our heads if we can't clear our head from the stress and the concern then it can be very difficult to be present and open and relaxed enough to just allow things to happen. Um, And then I would say, know what your goals are. Uh, Mm -hmm. So go, go in with a sense of understanding, you know, do we just want information at this point uh, so that we can get informed and then decide if there's, you know, maybe steps that we want to take after that. Um, Is our goal to be able to be, you know, know what we need to do to be physically active through this whole process, is our goal to redefine what this means and just take it step by step. So have a sense of what it is you're trying to accomplish by the conversation. And if for any reason you're not getting the support or getting the feedback uh, from the provider that you want, then ask them for a referral. If they seem uncomfortable, if they seem uneducated or unwilling to share information about it, then you, it's okay to just end that conversation and ask them if they could please refer you to somebody who might be, you know, more comfortable with the conversation. And mm-hmm. it, I know in oncology often, you know, some of these kinds of concerns and the psychosocial issues were kind of naturally moved over to the oncology nurse and they were often really great allies for these kinds of things and much more, I don't know, just much more, maybe they have more time, maybe, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the contributing factor was, but they just always seem to be a little bit more comfortable with um, having this kind of conversation. So those are some of the tips that I have as far as, you know, working with a provider over some of your issues that you might want to bring up.
2: Yeah, I think those are those are really great tips. Um, I know that there are a lot of medications out there that do cause, you know, side effects that affect our libido, affect, you know, um, how our body actually takes on the mechanics of sex, whether that's lubrication or, um, you know, the the ability to become aroused. Um, there, there are also often, you know, medical issues that are associated with those things. Um, back in April, I attended this really cool... Um, it was like a health care provider day that was put on as a part of a week-long education process with Tool Shed Toys, which is um, one of my favorite progressive sex shops in the world, but it's, it's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so I only live like two hours from it. And um, they, they have this great series of, of educational um, events that they put on during this week and um, Joan Price, who writes a lot about how to be intimate after age 50 and that you, you are allowed to be intimate and it's okay to do these things, um, had a really interesting conversation with someone that she shared with us about how this person was in the best relationship of her life. She and her girlfriend were getting along amazingly. Um, their sex life was great. And then all of a sudden she stopped being able to become aroused and brought the issue up to her physician who at the time was like, Well, you know, you just need to use more lube. Like, lube is not the answer to everything. Lube is amazing and should right. definitely be used very, uh I don't know, vigorously sounds violent. But like yes. you know
0: it <laughs> should be used
2: very often. Generously, thank you. <laughs> um but uh you know, doesn't always solve like the arousal issue. And because of her inability to really have this conversation with her girlfriend, their girlfriend left her. And then shortly after that, she had a heart attack and it turned out that her arousal issues were associated with heart disease that was not diagnosed. Um, So it's also important, I think when you're dealing with, um, you know, any sort of, of sexual symptom or, I don't know, malfunction has such a negative connotation to it. But um, any, any negative effects on your sex life to also keep in mind that there are some very real physical things that can be happening with your body. And it's okay to ask your physician, you know, hey, I'm having some issues with arousal. You know, the heart disease runs in my family. Is there a way we can test for that today before I leave so that I have peace of mind that, you know, it's not related to that? Um, and it's okay to push for whatever you need from your healthcare team. And sometimes that means, you know, switching up who's on your healthcare team. There are plenty of great doctors that I've had in the past that were perfect for when I saw them, but it got to a point where they weren't who I needed to see anymore simply because um, you know, just as all humans do, we all evolve and change and and, you know, there there are different things that go on in our lives and so I've had to leave physicians, not because they were awful, but just because at that moment they weren't who I needed on my like I, I call it my A team, my healthcare team. <laughs> Um, I don't really have a B.J. Baracus that's uh, Mr. T. I don't really have a B.J. Baracus. I need to work on that. But, um, you know, it's, it's totally okay to also keep in mind that your healthcare providers work for you. Like you you pay them through insurance, through co-pays, all of that. And so it's okay if you're not getting anywhere and if they are still consistently uncomfortable with having some of these conversations about things that mean a lot to you and, and don't really want to explore some of these issues. It's okay to move on and it's okay to do that even with great doctors. Um, I think there are places for patients and then there are places for really needing to assert ourselves, um, and and healthcare can definitely be one where you have to straddle that balance beam between uh, patience and and assertiveness. Yes, it's
1: important to be your own advocate when you need to be, and to trust your intuition. And if you feel like you're not getting your needs met, then uh, it is more and more these days being described as a patient-centric approach that these healthcare organizations are moving to. There's more talk about it being, you know, basically patients being the consumer. And mm-hmm. uh, so we do definitely, we have rights. And, um, and, you know, and that is an intimate relationship. You know, relationships with your physicians and the people that are, you know, guiding you through the process in a chronic illness or guiding your loved one through, they have a very intimate knowledge of your life. So mm-hmm. if they aren't measuring up, then it's definitely time to speak up and get what you need. Find somebody who is a better match for you. Uh, and it is, I, you know, I love the point that you raise about really paying attention to what may be contributing to a, a situation where you're experiencing sexual, sexual discomfort or dysfunction. Um, in coaching with the program that I work with my clients, we look at six different influencers in any given situation mm-hmm. Uh, they learn to stop if you know things are not, they're not getting the outcome that they want, or they're experiencing a challenge. We look at the spiritual, which can be related to life purpose and values. Does this align with my values, um, and in my priorities? Um, you know, mental, um, emotional, physical, environmental, and social. And often they'll keep a journal of these different factors, so that they kind of go through that list any time a challenge comes up related to an issue that they're working on, and they make notes. Um, Was there something environmentally? You know, were you were you trying to make love to your loved one when the kids were running up and down the hall? And you know, (laughs) you know, know the door lock's broken. Um, They think it's not broken, but you know, so (laughs) so you know that kind of thing. Um, So really just uh, becoming more conscious of these different factors that can influence the situation. And then that gives you more data points to take to a provider. So it's not just, Mm -hmm. well, I'm experiencing sexual dysfunction, but I'm also feeling a little short of breath, maybe, or I don't have the energy that I normally have. So maybe there's something physical going on. Maybe there's a belief or some emotional stuff that's going on that's impacting so, you know, you really do have to be vigilant um, mm-hmm. if you want to start to get answers um, in in a, kind of in a holistic way so that you're looking at all the pieces that might be contributing to the challenge. And then you can start to um, kind of tease it apart and find out which factors really are contributing and then go after some solutions.
2: Yeah, I love it. I, um, it's It's not always easy to... I think keep some of those things um, written down. I know I suck at that, um, and so <laughs> what I tend to do is is when I'm blogging, I will blog about you know, you know I'm having a really rough time with PTSD today, or um, you know I have been really struggling with my depression, but I, I think it's related to X Y Z. And so then the night before I have an appointment, um, you know, I'll sit down and kind of go through those things and I'll talk about it with my husband too, um, simply because I, I super value his input and I super value um, his ability to remember things that sometimes I either can't or somehow don't want to remember. Um, (laughs) It's, it's, very easy to go oh well I am perfect I, I don't feel bad at all and then he'll be like well remember like two days ago and you couldn't move your left shoulder like pretty sure you should bring that up um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's why I started asking for his input um, another thing that I do too is I'll um, I am I'm very positive believer in making sure we get out our emotions because Um, For many of us, holding in some of those emotions can be detrimental to our health, whether that's physical or mental. And so I will use my Twitter, my personal Twitter, um, to kind of vent and subtweet and all that kind of stuff sometimes because sometimes I just need that outlet. Um, And so... I will also go back and look at my social media too and see if there's anything that I've shared, um, whether it's related to, you know, an interpersonal relationship that's kind of gone wonky and, you know, I'm subtweeting a lot about that person (laughs) or, um, you know, talking a lot about Facebook or on Facebook about how my mental health is going or or things like that. Um, I, I think that... Those are often spots we overlook um, as far as, you know, getting kind of those um, little tests of how we've been doing lately. Um, so I, I definitely utilize social media in a way that actually helps me with my doctor's appointments, which is kind of fun.
1: That's a great idea. It's, it's really, again, what works, what works for you. You know, we have these amazing phones now that do so many things, so... For somebody else, mm-hmm. it could be a calendar entry, you know, just pulling up your calendar and putting in, you know, feeling really low energy right now, uh, not normal, you know, plugging that in or, you know, pain um, and scaling it, you know, pain in my shoulder mm-hmm. on this date, uh, 8 out of 10 um, and just tracking it in the calendar can be a great way or on the little notes uh, pad that you have, you know, in the, in the calendar. So, um, again, find what works. Definitely. Uh, And I love the piece of you, including your husband in the conversation, because often caregivers are observing what's going on and making mental notes of things. I actually used to keep a list, a written list, so that I made sure because our time was short. Often when we went in to the medical appointments, uh, I wanted to make sure that we hit everything. So... Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff got notated in this little red notebook that I created with the lab tests in one section and notes in another section and research in another section. And I'm not sure if you're picking up on um, how um, detail-oriented I am as a person, mm-hmm. but <laughs> a <little bit. laughs> a little bit. And that's not going to work <laughs> for everybody. For somebody else, it might be a post-it note or somebody else that maybe they are really good at mental notes and they can just call on that. So definitely be flexible and find the tools that work for you when it comes to um, tracking the information that you want to make sure that you communicate about challenges um, to providers and other experts that you might want to be working with to deal with some of these things.
2: I think that ties in well with our relationships, too. Um, You know, it's not always easy to be... Uh, patient with each other as we're experiencing some of these issues. Just like it may not always be easy to be patient waiting for a test result or talking to a physician or, or other healthcare expert or provider about an issue. And it's, um, I think, patience is really one of those things that we really have to figure out how to increase in our world. Um, you know, I think that we often talk about how we we need instant gratification. We need that feedback. You know, I love when I get my test results back the same day and it's great. And then when I have to wait the whole weekend, I'm just like, ah. Oh. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, before I used to have to wait like two weeks. So this is not that bad. But, um, you know, I, I think that patients in our throw away instant one-time use fast food society can be very difficult to maintain. Um, Especially when it comes to, you know, relationships and intimacy, when we all know that there are ways out there to maybe, um, you know, not be as truthful or not be as, um, you know, monogamous, if if that's your thing, um, to our one partner and, I'm just interested to hear what you might have to say a little bit more on the topic of patience.
1: Definitely the more patient we can be with ourselves and our partner, the more opportunity there is for the kind of conversations that you and I have been chatting about and the opportunity to create solutions and plans and strategies. And granting patience to ourselves is a great gift we have to recognize that when chronic illness comes into a relationship, for both parties, it's bringing in a whole new ball game. It's not what we typically expected. Um, and even if you meet your partner while you have an illness um, and, you know, everybody decides that, you know, hey, game on no matter what, you still just like, you know, when Gary and I got married, you know, those vows were in some sense a leap of faith because we don't know how this is all going to go. And so granting ourselves the patience to understand that this is a, there's a high degree of stress that can be involved in this. Uh, there's a great need for learning how to manage that stress so that it doesn't blow up a relationship, um, so that you're working mm-hmm. with each other and not against each other. And, um, and then learning also, too, to make, take small steps. So we've covered a lot of information so far on the call today. Trying to implement every tip, tool, and insight and idea that's in this call all at once would be overwhelming and create more stress. Mm-hmm. So choosing one small step that really stands out to you, that really resonates with you, that you want to focus on, um, working on for you know a week. And uh, successfully achieving that, whether it's you know how you change up your conversations, whether it's taking questions into your medical provider, whatever it is that you are picking, when you successfully achieve that, it builds your confidence in your ability to make changes. Uh, and then you want to be you know more proactive, and you're able to take on more changes. So I think the patience part is really important. We don't create sustainable change by trying to change a whole bunch of things overnight. We tend to go back to our old patterns when we do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a key part of it. Um, and it's a great point that you brought up. Um, so as much as we can practice patience, sometimes that means, you know, I have a three-step process that I talk about with my clients, a three-step OO process. Uh, like, uh-oh, what's, what do I do now?
0: <laughs> uh, and,
1: you know, my three steps are really simple. Stop, take a breath, and take the wheel. So stop is like mm-hmm. literally in that moment, stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're saying. Just stop and stand there. Um, if you feel like you're completely overwhelmed, like you're about to say something that's going to piss somebody else off, uh, you know, going to get yourself in hot water, just stop. That's the first thing. That gives you a moment to collect your thoughts. Take a breath. Because when we breathe, that connects us back to our body. Um, And when we get, you know, connected to our body, we tend to get more grounded. And then Mm -hmm. the mental thing kind of clears up a little bit. And we can actually think of the strategy and take the wheel as simply, you know, step into the driver's seat and ask yourself, what's the one action I can take right now that will put me on a path that's better than the one I was going down? So... You know, I like that. Yeah, just you know, simple things like that um, to give yourself that moment to recalibrate mm-hmm. can be helpful.
2: Yeah, I, I I really like that. I might uh, steal that a little bit. Um, <laughs> steal away. <laughs> I you know I I have had some anger issues in the past related to my PTSD and not being able to express kind of what I'm going through in those triggered moments. And so that is probably a useful three sets of steps there to uh, to work on that. Um, yeah, I think it's so interesting. I think we we have to have that patience with ourselves. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, I think that patience with ourselves and self-compassion um, are key to just life in general. You know, we're all going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Um, even Ryan Lochte just got in trouble today because he lied about being held up in Rio at the Olympics. Like literally nobody's perfect. Um, and, and we just have to be patient with ourselves and forgiving and compassionate when we do make mistakes or when we're trying new things and experimenting. Um, and, and even just in our relationships, you know, there are times when I have thought I have been very uh, rude to my husband unnecessarily because of how I was feeling or being flustered. Um, and I might snap at him and, and just say something not very nice. Um, and, you know, later I'll be like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I was so mean. And he's just like, no, you really weren't. But, um, you know, I appreciate it. And. It used to be that I would just kind of reflect on that for days on end and think about how mean I was and how awful I was. And it, it got to the point where I went, OK, no, when he is saying, no, it's OK, like I didn't I wasn't that worried about it, whatever. He is telling me that I, I don't need to concern myself with that situation anymore um, and kind of freeing me from that, that non self-compassionate act of uh, focusing on those issues in our relationship that may be caused by kind of high tension moments.
1: Yes, and granting yourself that grace is really important as far as keeping your energy level high and keeping your stress Mm -hmm. level low. So in life, one of the ways that we really work with clients in coaching to maintain high energy levels is to uh, work toward understanding that nobody gets up in the morning intending most people. <laughs> most people. There's, of course, going to be the outliers or people with, you know, with severe mental illness or something like that where they're just not in control of their, their faculties and their thinking and things like that. So I'm not talking yeah. about those. But for the, in the general public, most people don't get up trying to plot how they're going to lash out at somebody that they love you know, or how they're going to show up in, you know, in anger. That's not who they are. It's not their best self. And mm-hmm. there's something that's contributing to that. And it typically is stress of some kind, stress about a relationship, stress about work, stress about finances. You know, we go through this wheel of life process, evaluating the different areas of, of life. And you can look at any one or, you know, all of those areas and understand that there's different times where different stressors are, are at play. And when we're at, str- when we're stressed, what's showing up in that moment is not you, it's the stress. Yeah. And so that sometimes takes the charge out of it. When people start to look at it from that way, they can kind of observe it and they can observe their own anger in that situation and recognize, Hey, that's not who I normally am. I'm normally this really compassionate person. I really care about people and I really love my husband. So it's not about not taking responsibility for it. Um, that's a great piece of it. Take responsibility, but then let it go. You know, mm-hmm. Let go of the judgment. Um, try to understand that you're doing the best you can in that moment, given the stress that you're dealing with in that moment. And now where the work to do is go back to that wheel, go back to looking at the different areas of your life and ask, overall, what's stressing me out so much and where can I start putting some strategies and plans in place to reduce that stress? so that I have fewer mm-hmm. times where I, you know, have a stress reaction versus a conscious response.
2: I like that. It's It feels very common sense related and yet very scientific and just, ah, I love it. Um, it's, it's just one of those things that we have to, I think, focus on as human beings is that that self-compassion, uh, that patience, being able to let it go. Um, although every time we've said that in the last couple of minutes, I just keep getting that song from Frozen stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a four-year-old niece. It, it happens. Um, <laughs>
1: Uh, music can be a great way to let it go. Just you know, put on a tune that takes yeah. your energy up to a whole different level. That's a great strategy.
2: <laughs> exactly like "Let It Go" the song. You can just you know belt that out, and uh, it's perfect. Um, you know, one of the things I know that you wanted to talk about was was kind of this idea of experimentation, and um, that it's okay to not have answers. It's okay to not have solutions, but we can kind of experiment to find them. And I know, um, you know, one of the places that is very often used can be the bedroom um, for those who feel comfortable doing so. Um, You know, one of, one of our favorite um, sex positions is not one that you would normally find in, you know, a, a book of like <laughs> normal sex positions or whatever it's one of those things that we kind of found by experimenting and we both said, okay this is, this is not bad we kind of like this let's keep doing this um, and, and so I'm interested to hear what you have to say too about this idea of experimentation whether it's physical or emotional or um, even just kind of related to how we talk to each other
1: I love bringing the concept of experimenting into the coaching relationship with my clients and introducing them to to it because it frees people up in a lot of ways and and that applies to all areas of life. You take a situation and you look at it like a you know kind of like putting it in a petri dish and you brainstorm uh, around, you know, some maybe some different solutions that you think might work for the challenge that you're up against. And then you choose the one that seems to resonate the most with you and you experiment with it for a week. Um, And, you know, if it's a task or something like that. So experiment with it for a week. And then at the end of the week or whatever time period you choose, just check in with yourself and ask, do I feel better as a result of doing this? And if I feel Mm -hmm. better, well, maybe I'll just keep that in my, my plan or my program. If I don't feel better, then that's not the right thing for me. I can mark that off the list and I'm going to try something else. So just in life in general, being willing to experiment with things helps people to understand making a change doesn't mean you're, you're saying, I'm going to do this from now until the end of my life, because that seems mm-hmm. like really daunting and really hard to stick to. And frankly, you don't know if it's going to work. Like going on a gluten-free diet may work for, you know, half the world. It may not work for you. So you don't want to yeah. feel like you're committing to something that, you know, and then it doesn't work and you're like, but I committed to this. Well, but it's not getting you the results that you wanted. So think short term, be willing to experiment. Uh, if an experiment doesn't work, toss that you know strategy aside and look for something else that might work. When it comes to intimacy, I think that there's a lot of room, you know, when you can... Um, look at bringing in things, I mean, just, you know, fun and playfulness and uh, the idea of, you know, hey, we're in a different situation now than we were before. And the, you know, the, the illness that we're dealing with, the stress that we're dealing with, this is a whole different ball game, And we don't really know, either one of us, how our bodies are functioning now under those conditions in the bedroom. So what if we just start getting to know each other all over again? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Take it slow. You know, learn how to touch each other again. Because what used to feel good before may not feel good now. Where used to feel good before may not feel good now. And then be willing to communicate and give your partner feedback as to what's working better for you and what maybe doesn't turn you on
2: anymore. So yeah, I think that's that's incredibly important. Um you know, even for those of us who kind of have just recurring flares and are okay kind of in between. Um you know, one of the conditions that I have is fibromyalgia and when that flares up for me, I get the allodynia which is um when a normal sensation feels incredibly painful. Um so, you know, my husband's holding my hand. It feels like he's got ice daggers, you know, stabbing into certain parts of my hand. For me, that's difficult because I'm a very physical person. I like to snuggle. I like to hold hands. And so that can be a very difficult situation for me to be in <laughs> because all of a sudden it's like, nope, you're not allowed. This is not allowed to happen. Um, and so, you know, we've experimented just just using holding hands as an example with ways we can do that, that are less painful. Um, you know, I am, I am willing to endure a certain amount of pain because I know that that physical closeness actually relieves some pain for me. And so even if it hurts a little bit, it, it does bring relief. So, you know, we'll, we'll, when we're walking outside, we'll just put our hands palm to palm and, and not interlock, not, you know, any of that, just palm to palm. Um, when we're walking, or or we'll do it the other way, where we have you know the backs of our hands together, and we're not again not interlocking, but just just that touching or or interlocking our pinkies, um, something like that is is just you know a good example I think of experimentation on a physical level, but it also involved a, a certain amount of communication and and patience on both of our parts, um. You know, he didn't want to do anything that was going to cause me pain. And so even though I was willing oftentimes to just sit there and hold hands regularly, even though it hurt, he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to cause me pain. So I had to be patient with that. And we had to be patient with each other in ways to find, um, you know, physical touching involving our hands that wasn't so painful, um, and, you know, we still do hold hands sometimes, uh, regular, like, fingers interlocked or, or, you know, things like that when I'm ill, but it's, um, it's based on how I'm feeling and it's based on um, me communicating that with him, which took its own sort of experimentation to do, too. Yeah,
1: and this is an area where I feel like, if Gary and I had had more support and more tools, a lot of the tools like I give my clients now, that things would have been different for us. So Mm -hmm. at one point uh, about probably coming up on, um, you know, just as he was starting into what would become his last year, the lymph nodes, he had Hodgkin's disease, and so that's a, a cancer of the lymphatic system. And the lymph nodes in his groin area on both sides blew up, and they look like two large, you know, uh, bundles of bunches of grapes on either side, right, right at the top of uh, the leg area and into the groin. And he didn't let me know for a while uh, that they were even that size. Um, He often complained of being, you know, too tired to be intimate, which I totally understood. (laughs) Uh, and you know, so in our marriage and uh, during times like that, then I, obviously my choice was to remain faithful to the marriage and to choose celibacy. Mm-hmm. And I was fine with that. Um, but, uh, that was how he hid it for me for a while until he got to a certain size. And then, um, finally one night I was actually doing some body work on him and he said, you know, there I think, I think there's something I should let you know about. I don't want you to freak out. And, um, and so then, you know, he Um, showed me, you know, kind of moved in my hand over top of his groin area. He said, you know, my lymph nodes have gotten quite large. And so, you know, once they were that size, I was in my head, I I didn't even think to ask a provider. You know, I just went into such a state of fear. And I was, I definitely at that point, that really pretty much ended our intimate and sexual, our, our sexual relationship because I was afraid that they were going to burst if Mm -hmm. we had sexual intercourse. And I was trying to imagine what position might work and me on top or him on top. And I was trying to work all this out in my head. And I just didn't didn't think or have the presence of mind because at that point I was so exhausted and I was so stressed out by everything else that I wasn't in um, a mode where I could brainstorm. And mm-hmm. ask for help and things like that. So I didn't have a conversation with him. I didn't have a conversation with our medical provider. I didn't have a conversation with the therapist that we were seeing. And it just remained internal and it created distance between us. So, I mean, luckily about six months later, we were able to kind of go through a period where he was away for three weeks for, you know, at a um, uh, kind of a I would call it a health, kind of a health spa and they really worked mm-hmm. on boosting his immune system and so I got to rest for three weeks and he got to build up his immune system for three weeks and by the time, you know, we came back together, it was right around Christmas time and so we had a, a chance to really reconnect. We were resourced and refreshed and, uh, and so we were doing a lot of things you're talking about, you know, walking and holding hands, snuggling in bed together Um, you know, intimacy like that. And so luckily in the last six months of our marriage, we were back in love, you know, again and having an intimate connection. But really the last year of his life, uh, you know, I was celibate and we didn't have um, Mm -hmm. sexual relationships and that was all out of fear. So I do encourage people who are listening to the call to, you know, see what they can do to get the support that they need to have the conversations and get the information they need so that you don't necessarily have to experience that distance. There's nothing wrong with choosing celibacy if that's what's going to work for both of you or finding other ways to be intimate at all. Um, But if there is an opportunity to continue your sexual relationship and that's something you both want, then um, using some of the tips and tools and insights from today to make sure that you get the information, the support, and have uh, the resources to be able to continue that you know, it's a really wonderful piece of, of a relationship and of life together.
2: Mm-hmm. It is. And it it can be such a healing thing, I think, um, you know, because it involves our, our physical lives and, and, and our physical bodies, but also this emotional connection. And, you know, so stereotypically people are like, well, it's just for women that it's a, an emotional connection. And that's not true. Um, you know, there are, there are many people of all gender identities that really, um, you know, embrace that, that emotional, um, connection that we have when we're intimate with each other, whether that is, um, you know, sexually, sensually, or, or physically, um, or, or just emotionally intimate. It's, um, it's something that, I think has kept my marriage going, um, you know, like with being ill, with um, my husband also having some of his own illnesses and issues. It's not always easy for us to get on the same wavelength. It's not always easy for us to um, find periods of time where we're both, um you know, ready to be physically intimate and able to be physically intimate. Um, for me, it's, it's more the latter than the former. <laughs> you know, I talk about sex, that's what I do. So I'm, I'm pretty open to sex very often. But, um, you know, it's, it's something that when I am feeling in a lot of pain and, um, can't function with a, a lot of you know normal things. Um, sometimes having that intimate moment um, that that turns into physical intimacy is that thing that gets you out of kind of the dark um, emotional place that that a dark emotional um, or, or a dark physical, feeling can get you um there are plenty of times where i have been in a lot of pain you know crying in bed and only to have my husband come up behind me and and lay there and rub my back and hold me while i cry and tell me it's going to be okay and then you know try to rub whatever joints are hurting and that then leads to physical intimacy, which is, which is beautiful. Um, Would I have set out in that moment to be physically intimate with him? Hell no. But, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of that emotional connection. And um, he and I have talked about a lot too how orgasms and even the act of, of just kind of fooling around can release endorphins and that, can lower pain, so sometimes I feel like he does it because he knows I'm hurting, and you know <laughs> wants to help with my pain in any way he can. But take it for the team, uh, is he? <laughs> You know, just, it's it's just such a rough life.
1: <laughs> um, well, it's true. I mean, sex but, is a great stress reliever, you know. So yes, there's a you know all that we've talked about, you know, the really deep emotional connection and intimacy and in adults, But sometimes, a it's just fun. It's fun to have sex and it can be a great stress reliever. So, you know, play, have fun, release some stress. <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> it's such a good thing to do. Um, you know, I I would be interested to kind of hear your thoughts on that, the physical and emotional issues that we deal with when we're dealing with illness or dealing with a partner's illness. Um when when we're talking about intimacy and, and relationships. Well I think it
1: ties well back into what we talked about before and, and you know six influencers and how I work with those with you know with my client with those kind of things. Uh, really just understanding there's, there's more than one thing at play when you're dealing with challenges of intimacy or challenges in the bedroom. Um, and so there can be different layers of what's impacting maybe your desire or, you know, your ability to have sex physically. And so, um, we just want to be mindful that it's, it's not, it's not, you know, you, it's not them. It's not one thing necessarily. It can be a lot of things. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so looking at things like, well, what are the physical influencers that, uh, enhance my arousal and my desire to have sex with my partner and what are some of the physical things that detract from that um, and so for me you know in the instance I was just talking about something that's significantly detracted from my desire to have sex with my husband was the physical uh, lymph nodes and my mm-hmm. fear of hurting him physically so that's related to the physical, uh, you know, something else that occurred. And logically, of course, in my head, I think, well, you should have figured that one out on your own. Um, mm-hmm. When, you know, when my husband going through chemotherapy, he started to go through hair loss and they talked about, you know, hair loss is a side effect of chemotherapy. Well, it never crossed my mind that that didn't mean just the eyebrows, the eyelashes and, you know, the body here. That meant pubic hair as well. Oh, and, and it happened all of a sudden, you know, like, really all of a sudden and all, you know, it was just like in one night, you know, my husband standing before me completely hairless and it really threw me for a loop. Um, so it took me a while to get comfortable with, you know, being with his body with no hair and I had no clue that that was a possibility that that might happen. Uh, so once again, nice place maybe for the provider or somebody to have pulled me aside and said, (laughs) So you might want to be prepared for, you know, a number of things that could happen as a result of, um, yes. so that was a physical influencer for me that impacted my level of attraction to him for a while. Um, and then that impacted an emotional influencer of, mm-hmm. you know, judging myself for not being attracted to him. Like, this is the man you love. This is the man you married. This is the love of your life you know, this is somebody who you've had great uh, physical and sexual attraction to since the moment you met. And like, what's wrong with you? that You're now not feeling that. And how dare you, Mm -hmm. when he's going through so much suffering, make this about, you know, you and not him. So uh, I really had to, um, if I'd known, I could have, looked at you know there's physical influencers that are impacting my level of desire right now there's emotional influencers Um, there's other stressors that are going on financial stress Um, there's fears Um, so there was a lot of things that were at play where again if I kind of had the bigger picture been able to tease them apart and been able to have some conversations and get some support in some Uh, and maybe change some perspectives and some thoughts that I had about some of these things that would have changed what was going on between us on a sexual Mm -hmm. intimacy level.
2: Yeah. I feel like we've come full circle back to you are doing this because it was something you didn't have. And, and it's something that you don't want others to go without. Um, And I just think that's so meaningful I mean, I am maybe slightly biased because that's what I why I do what I do, too. So maybe, I, you know, I might be reading a little bit too much into how awesome we are. But, you know, um,
1: <laughs> I'll go with the theory that we're awesome.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I like it. I, I like awesome. And I also like talking about our badassery. I think that's a great, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's life is very hard. And when you are faced with an illness, whether it's your own or from someone you love and care about, it can be very difficult to navigate those things. And I think, you know, anything that we can do to help make it easier for each other is just, um, it's a beautiful thing. It's there, There's so much emotion wrapped up in how I feel about it—that I'm actually struggling to find a word, but um, you know, it's—it involves so much giving of ourselves and sharing that vulnerability with other patients or, or other caregivers, um, and it is the thing that gets me out of bed every day frankly um or off my couch every morning because i've taken a sleeping on the couch often lately because (laughs) i i've been going through a lot of pain somnia which um is is insomnia related to kind of uncontrolled pain um and i i thankfully i'm seeing a, a provider tomorrow about kind of the issue that's causing this but it's um you know, it's, it's the thing that gets me off my couch every morning. So (laughs) it's a, it's a good thing. Um, so I have kind of three questions that I am asking everybody at the end of our conversations, um, kind of like inside the actor's studio, because, (laughs) Everybody knows James Lipton, and Inside the Actor Studio is the best. So (laughs) I wanted to emulate that. (laughs) (laughs) He's just so cute. He's like the cutest little guy. Um, Okay, so what is your favorite thing to do for self-care or to pamper yourself? That's an easy one.
1: I dance Argentine tango socially. Oh. And I love it because when I get to walk onto the dance floor, I get to close my eyes and I have these amazing leaders who will just lead me around in the dance and I don't have to think and I have to be very present in the moment and I talk about it being my energetic shower and one of my quotes is that I write to remember and I dance to forget.
2: Oh my gosh, I love that. You need to make like I don't know, like a poster or something and put it up for people to buy because I would buy so many of those. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that dancing is so, it's again, it's something that can be so intimate and so vulnerable, but also, you know, a great workout and a great way to show trust and admiration for other people. And it just, ah, I love it. I, I, I don't tango, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> the The only thing I do is, like, the very, very white person version of, of hip-hop dancing, which is just kind of me bobbing my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is, is better than my husband. My husband does uh, what we call tiny dancing, so he kind of just, like, moves his shoulders. Uh-huh. And <laughs> You know it's it's a very guy uh, it's a very guy thing Um, now so here's the last one and you can take a minute to think about it if you need it because sometimes it's not easy to think of this on the fly especially but what is your favorite thing about yourself and that can be emotional or physical or a psychological trait or whatever one thing you would like to share
1: that I never give up.
2: I like that. I really like that. Um, Perseverance and resilience are incredibly undervalued (laughs) and incredibly over-needed. I don't don't know if that's a phrase, but I just made it one. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I wanted to. I I I definitely wanted to at times. And uh, there was definitely a lot of days when I woke up and I would be laying on my bed thinking, damn, I'm still breathing. Um, but even in the, you know, the, the absolute most darkest moment. Um, and I literally was, I was sitting on my, my couch in our house and it was broad daylight, but the entire room went black for me and Mm. all I could see was blackness. And, so much of me was lost in that blackness, and just I had I, I was like I had no idea what 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 to do, or what was next. But there was one tiny part of me that kept saying, you know, there's, there's got to be a pinprick of light in here somewhere. There has to be. So keep looking. And mm-hmm. I did. I finally found it, literally like the size of a pin. And so I asked myself the question, you know, if that's a pinprick of light, and it's the thread that's connecting me to life what is that thread connecting me to? And it was, at that time, the body work I was doing with uh, clients in massage and Reiki and and reflexology, and I realized that it was helping others. Mm -hmm. The key to my survival and the key to what was to come next for me to create meaning in my life was to be a difference for others. And I just couldn't... My soul would not let me give up as much as ninety nine point nine percent of me wanted to.
2: <laughs> that is beautiful, and it's such it's such interesting imagery, and so profound, and yet so simple at the same time. And I just ah, uh, you could make like a beautiful ode poem out of that. I swear.
1: There's a memoir yeah. I'm writing, so there's a whole book coming.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. Do you know when it's When it's uh, potentially coming out yet? Oh, hopefully sometime in the next six months. Oh, my goodness. You must be busy, busy finishing up stuff with that, huh? Yes.
1: (laughs) Very. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I have a lot of things on my plate, but uh, that's how I
0: roll.
2: (laughs) It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I don't know why. I lately have been doing the it's a good thing, like, a la martha stewart in 1997 i don't know what's up with that but um it's a thing but <laughs> <laughs> i i so appreciate you um coming and talking to ambra this has been such a fun time and i just i hope that people have taken as many notes as i have <laughs> and hopefully Larger written notes so they can read what they wrote. (laughs) Because
1: well, the good thing is it's recorded, so you're you can always go back and listen to the
2: recording. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um. Yeah, this has been a, a beautiful time talking to you, and I am so grateful that you are doing the work that you do, and. That you are taking, you know, one of the most painful experiences, um, and and turning it into something incredibly beautiful, and um, you know, I I so appreciate you and kind of this light that you're bringing into the world by by doing what you do.
0: Thank you so much. Isn't Tambra so much fun? I just really love talking with her, and every interaction I have with her leaves me coming away feeling rejuvenated from the joy she carries around, but also feeling like I've learned a lot of new things, even if it's just, hey, on Twitter, (laughs) which I guess doesn't really teach much, but you know. If you're interested in learning more about Tambra, I'll put Some links in the show notes, but you can find her at Well Beyond This or Well Beyond Ordinary. And one quick thing about the show notes. I do want to have transcriptions of our podcast episodes because I want these to be as accessible as possible. But the problem is that I am doing this all by myself. And it's really hard to run the chat, run the website, run the social media and do the podcast, and type up transcriptions, especially lately. I have been experiencing some new symptoms that are troubling, to say the least. My arms kind of turn into wet noodles at a certain point of the day, and that makes it really hard to do most things, but especially type, which is really scary, but something that I'm trying to get answers for so yay anyway if you would like to volunteer or know someone who might want to volunteer to do transcriptions of our episodes that would be badass I can't really pay you I do have like samples of lube and stuff I could send you I don't know we'll figure it out if you need volunteer like community service hours, too, if you're like in college or a senior in high school and you're 18, you have to be 18, um, hit me up. And I will be more than happy to work with you to help um, us both get something out of this great uh, relationship. And I did add a new feature to the webpage, which I am constantly adding new things to. If you go to chronicsex.org, where you can reach me if you want to talk about transcribing things too, you will see that we now have an ask page. That page is awesome because you can go and anonymously ask a question. It can be a question about sex or how to, you know, improve self worth or any of those kinds of things. It can be a question about a podcast guest. It could be a suggestion for a podcast guest. Or a blog post. Or a chat topic. Or, I don't know. I don't want to get too creepy. Please don't send me creepy things. But it's there. And it's a tool that's there for you. So you know, just consistently visit the site because I'm always updating things and trying to make it as best as I can for all of us. Next week, we're going to hear from Kira, who is one of my favorite people. I think I've said that about every podcast guest so far, but it's all been true. Kira has written a book about dating with chronic illnesses called Aches and Pains, and it's fascinating. Um, I actually taught two sessions this year with the Arthritis Foundation to the 18 and over, uh, juvenile arthritis sufferers slash warriors, um, at the juvenile arthritis conferences in Phoenix and Philadelphia this year. And that was one of the books I brought with me to both sessions to be able to point out and say, Hey, somebody else has done this. You can do this. Here are some, some tips and some tricks and you don't have to feel alone. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear my conversation with her because she's a badass and adorable and Canadian, which I feel like we all kind of wish we were in spirit right now. Until next week, take care of you. And I hope that you have an amazing weekend full of love and light and Fun, naughty giggles.